Hello and welcome. You are listening to an episode of the Sales Chat Show. To stream or download a host of further free episodes that will power your sales success, please visit saleschatshow.com. We really hope that you enjoy and benefit from this episode. Hello folks, you are listening to yet another episode from the Sales Chat Show, saleschatshow.com, driving your sales success. I am Simon Hazeldean and I'm here once again with my esteemed colleagues, Mr. Graham Jones and Mr. Phil Jessen, who is going to kick this session off. Phil, you're going to talk about how to disengage from a customer. Now on the Sales Chat Show, we're obviously normally talking about winning customers or, or keeping customers safe from the competition, but you're actually talking about getting rid of a customer or sacking a customer disengaging are you have you lost your marbles under what circumstances would one of our listeners want to disengage with my a customer? Uh, my marbles are still very much intact you're I'm pleased, pleased to, to hear it and um, uh, I think your uh, your question your challenge is very fair there are some reasons why we might want to disengage for example uh, the customer over a period of time might just be unprofitable for us to continue working with. Another reason might be the hassle factor. Yep. That also links to profitability, of course. And maybe a third uh, area, very much one for its time, is that there's a cultural misfit. And the values and beliefs of the customer are not the same as ours, and maybe one of our members of staff has been abused by the customer in some way and we think, well, we, we've had enough of that. So there might be all sorts of reasons that have prompted it. So my first sort of um, uh, suggestions in this area really are that if we have decided that we want to disengage with the customer uh, and that at some point there's going to be a crucial conversation for the customer, a painful conversation, uh, guideline number one, don't surprise the customer about it because they will probably behave badly. This is one of those situations where we should say on the ground, when I come and see you next time, I think we need to look at this because it's an issue for us and we need to talk about it. And if the customer says, well, can we talk about it now? That's fair enough. But to give the customer a head start on the conversation, <laughs> Um, my, my second suggestion would be to frame the conversation around the word expectations and to say to the customer, when you think of our relationship, where have we met your expectations, where have we exceeded your expectations, where have we fallen short? When the customers had their say, we should now have ours. And in that second half of the conversation, as it were, we would probably say, well, we have to tell you there are a couple of areas where we think our relationship and the behaviour of some of your people has fallen well short of our expectations. Mm. But to frame the conversation around expectations and let the customer go first. And my third suggestion is that if as a result of that meeting we've come to the conclusion that the customer is valuing what we do and they want to stay one of our customers, then to set a period of time where we say, well, let's review it in three months' time, but if the situation's still the same, I'm afraid we're going to have to call it a day. So to summarise, give the customer a head start, 
frame the conversation around expectations, namely where the customer is falling short of hours, mm -hmm. set a period of time, and if there is no change in behaviour or no change in profitability or whatever the issue is, <clears throat> then we call it quits. But the customer knows that they are heading that way for three months, so they, they've got time to do something about it. So if, you're sort of easing, easing the customer into the, the break. Yes, I, I, I was interested in some of your, your opening words. Disengaging through relationship management skills, Yes, I would support. Uh, <laughs> sacking them, yes. as your face reddened earlier. Uh, no, I wouldn't say that we sack them so that it's a big surprise and causes pain. And of course uh, today, as Graham will tell us, reputational damage via the internet can be immediate. Yeah. Yeah. So it's got yeah. to be, it's got to be yeah. managed well, almost to the point where, if we do part company, the customer should be saying, "Well, I can see why we're doing this, and I'm very sorry about it." Mm. There shouldn't be tears and tantrums, which yeah. might cause reputational damage. Uh, I think that's all, all very important. But I've twice been involved in sacking a customer without any uh, forewarning, and one of those was uh, many years ago when I worked on a magazine. Uh, one of our advertisers, and they were providing about, I think, 10 or 15% of our income. So they were a big pharmaceutical company. And uh, one of the reporters who worked for me on the magazine was out at a conference and was at the conference dinner where one of the people from that company revealed something to him that suggested that that company was not as ethical as we thought they were. Um, and he came back and said, you know, should we write this as a story? And I thought, well, it is a story, um, and, uh, but I'd better check with the publisher because they spend a lot of money with us. Mm. And uh, so I didn't want to surprise him by publishing the story because obviously editorial independence meant that we could go ahead, but I didn't want to surprise him. So I went and saw the publisher and said, look, this is the story. And he said, okay, you've got to publish it. And I said, but what's that going to do to your relationship with your advertiser and he said what advertiser he said my magazine will not accept advertising from companies like that who behave like that and they will no longer we will no longer accept their advertising mm. and I said what about the money they've spent what about the money they're spending with us he said I shall find an alternative advertiser mm. who does adhere to ethical oh, principles yeah. so he just immediately told rang them up and said you're no longer acceptable to us because we don't like you so that was a customer version of instant dismissal? Instant dismissal of the customer. Yeah. And then personally, I was working for a German company who'd employed me to publish a magazine for them. Uh, and I was producing this magazine for them. And the hassle factor became obvious that it was immense. You know, I was supposed to be doing this monthly magazine and it should have taken me about a week's work each month and it was taking me nearly a month's work each month, which meant all my other work was getting sidelined. And in the end, after about three or four issues, I thought, this is ridiculous, this can't carry on. Yeah. And so I went out to Germany and saw them and said, I'm not doing this anymore, and explained why. And they said to me, but you can't sack us, you're the supplier. <laughs> and I went, well, I can decide not to supply you. And they went, but why wouldn't you supply us? After all, you need us more than we need you. And I said, well, that's not strictly true. And that was the end of our conversation. A little bit of um, <clears throat> arrogance is never a good thing on either side no, of the sales relationship, yes. isn't it? So I had a, um, a, a colleague of mine who ran a marketing agency and decided 
that the best way of detaching themselves from two of their clients that were hard work was to just institute a doubling of their fees, <laughs> which both of the difficult clients accepted without question. <laughs> so the tactic failed dramatically. They said, well, we'll just double our price, and then they'll tell us to both. And they went, oh, well, that's that's really not what we wanted, but we do like working with you. So so I think you gotta, you kind of got to, I think you got to kind of think it through. Yeah. Um, and, but there's, I think this was the hassle factor of the clients. And I think and another thing maybe to even prevent this happening is one, qualify the opportunities better and make sure you understand your profitability yeah. mm. and you're not over-promising to win the sale and then that means you're over or over, ending up over-servicing the clients. Maybe it becomes unprofitable because you're not being firm enough with the client and your desire to give good customer service you give too much yeah you know far more than the client would expect and want and over servicing is a problem for many you know so i think there's some some you know where it's where it's down to unprofitability there are some things to do upstream fee negotiation qualifying what's in scope and what's out of scope and agreeing service level agreements with the customer and then charging them for anything extra yeah. that they that they mm. want um, I think for sales directors listening to this the strategic issue is that we should be working with customers that we want to work with because they meet a number of selection criteria and if they fail to meet those selection criteria and we've named some of them, profitability, cultural, ethics, hassle factor, or whatever, uh, and then we start to uh, uh, look at uh, exit over a period of time. I think there's one thing that the internet does come to the rescue here, because that your customers will have researched you a great deal to work out, are you the right product, are you the right service, you know, are you going to provide what we want before they're purchased from you? But equally, you can do the research on those customers. You can find out, have other people suggested hassle factors? Because you'll see that on social media. You'll see that kind of discussion. You'll see whether they work well with other people. You, mm. There'll be lots of information online you can glean. As you're about to do a deal with a customer, you can actually work out before you get into a point where you're going to have to stop working for that customer you can actually prevent yourself from doing that by doing your research on your customers in the same way they're doing the internet research on you as a supplier. I think I'll often say to salespeople that the way you deal with the customer in the selling process or the customer's buying process will give the customer a strong indication of the way you're likely to be as a supplier once you've, yeah. you know, so and to handle it really professionally. Flip that advice around. The way the customer behaves during their procurement process will give you some strong insights into what sort of a customer they are. Very good point. They are going to be. And I, I wouldn't want anybody listening to think we're sitting here in some sort of arrogant, or oh, let's sack these customers kind of way. You genuinely do want to maximise your time working with the right customers for your company because that's the maximum value for your... And a value comes in more more ways than just, just the money that the customer pays. And I'll always say to someone if they're inquiring about having me speak at a conference or an event, you know, I'll say something like, you know, what I'd like to know, but tell me a bit more about the event and the audience and so on and so forth so I can make sure I'm the right speaker for yeah. you. And I'm not being in any way arrogant it's just if I'm not the right speaker I'm not going to go down well and that's not good for me and it's certainly not good for the clients and it is a 
It is making sure that both parties are going to be happy, particularly if you're going to be having a long-term working relationship together. You know, it's an important it's an important thing to do because if it's if they're very difficult, challenging, unprofitable customer, you know, they're going to be a drain on your resources as well. Well, so. you often hear that, don't you? You often hear salespeople after two years of working with a client when the client somehow that relationship ends. They go, oh, thank goodness they've gone. We knew from the beginning they were going to be a problem. Yeah. Mm. And so the real question then is, well, if, if you knew from the beginning they were going to be a problem, why have you invested so much time in trying to make them and maintain them as a customer when actually you should have invested your time in getting an alternative customer at the outset? Because somebody, sadly, at a very senior level, has decided that any old business is better than the right business. Yeah, except any old business isn't necessarily profitable. Exactly. Then, yeah. And if you think about the um, the Geigo principle, as it's uh, referred to, garbage in, garbage out. If people pump garbage in right at the very beginning, then we shouldn't be surprised if two years later they're not paying the bills on time, or there's lots of hassle, or there's this cultural difference between the two. We do a lot of, I think in sales, we do a lot of sort of post-rationalisation of... Um, <clears throat> You know, we continue with with pursuing a piece of business, even though all the signs are saying us that we probably shouldn't. Because a, you know, well, it's better to win them than the competition to win them, or they'll give us a beachhead in this industry, or there'll be a good logo, and you rationalise and sell yourself on why they're worth having as a customer when, in fact, everything is pointing to the fact that you shouldn't. And the more time you've invested in in a deal, the harder it is to walk away from it, which is something, obviously, in negotiation I'll talk about quite a lot. You know, a good negotiator doesn't do every deal. You do deals that make commercial sense to you, you Mm. know. And if they're absolutely putting the absolute vice grip on you, and they really want you, genuinely appear to want you to be working at a price where you're going to be struggling to make a margin... I think you have to take a long, cold, hard look at that piece of business and say, is it worth having? Because it's going to take up account management time mm. that could be invested elsewhere. Yeah. Huge. And that's that's the issue. But maybe the whole phenomenon of sales targets is the problem because yes. people are looking at achieving a turnover target or a volume target, whereas if there's a profitability target yeah. rather than either yeah. of those two, they're going to be rejecting those customers that are going to produce least profit, even though they might be the logo or whoever um, that they want uh, for whatever spurious reason. So maybe sales targets should be abandoned. And it's a brave, it's a thought. And it's on that bombshell. <laughs> <laughs> but there was a case I used to work in, used to work in the fast-moving consumer goods industry. And the, the company that I worked for, um, a, new, a new guy took over um, the division I was working for. And we would supply our own products to the customers and they would also factor third party on which we made much, le- much less margin. But the thinking in the organisation at the time was, well, the lorry's going to be going anyway, we might as well fill it up with third party. That was the the rationale. New fresh pair of eyes comes in from a more strategic perspective and realises we've got a lot of lorries driving around delivering an awful lot of low profit and instructed that all of us in the sales force to tell the customer that all the prices on third-party products were going up to allow us to make a margin, which meant they all stopped buying them. Sales volume and, and revenue shot down, and we all thought the guy was crazy, hit the bottom of the curve, profitability starts shooting back up, and also rationalised the delivery fleet as well, and the business became hugely more profitable. But he did. I remember talking to him, and he said... 
as it was hurtling, everything was hurtling downwards. He said, I did question myself a few times on the way down, was I doing, was I doing the right thing? So it was a brave, brave move. Long term, strategically, it was the right thing to do. Short term, it was a bit scary. And that might be how it might feel to some of our listeners if they take if they take that brave step. But I think it's a business problem in all businesses that everybody focuses a lot on turnover and volume yeah. rather than profit. Yeah. Um, and uh, people often, uh, I used an example on the internet saying, you know, if you want to make a million pounds tomorrow, um, there are two extreme ways you can do it. You can sell a million items at one pound each to a million people or you can sell one item for a million pounds to one person and actually it's much easier to find the one person who'll spend a million pounds with you tomorrow than it is to find a thousand people um, a million people who spend a pound with you tomorrow and so actually focusing on where your profit is yeah so you've only got one customer but you've made a million profit it's much, whereas people go, oh no, I want a million customers. So, you know, I yeah. want a hundred thousand Facebook likes rather than a thousand Facebook likes. But of those hundred thousand Facebook likes, ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine of them are useless to you. So, you've got to focus on where the profit is, not where the the volume numbers are. And I think that's a mistake in sales that ends up in the problems we end up yeah. with, that we're in with customers we want to get rid of. Yeah. And to go back to Graham's bombshell of should we abandon sales targets, I think we should have that as a sales chat show. We should talk about sales targets on, an, on another episode. But definitely sales metrics don't drive sales behaviour. And I think it's always very important to have a turnover and a profitability yeah. measure for salespeople. There needs to be some sort of tension between the targets to drive intelligent behaviour. Because yeah, whatever you incentivize a salesperson to do, they will usually do. So, you know, having three points to your metric system, turnover, volume and margin, for example, yeah. is probably where the smart money smart money is at. But we will do sales targets on another episode, gentlemen, I think. So anything else on disengaging customers, Mr. Jesson? No, other than <clears throat> it's the right thing to do. It yeah. needs to be planned and executed carefully for all the reasons that we've mentioned, but if you need to do it, then do it. Yeah, absolutely. And it may be a brave thing to do, but it'll probably bear profitable fruit for you further further down further down track. And I think we should just reassure our individual customers who are listening to this that we have no plans to disengage with any of them. Speak for yourself, Graham. <laughs> we don't have any difficult listeners. We just have wonderful listeners, he said, in a really sort of rather sleazy, salesy kind of way. <laughs> Let's finish this episode. I'm going to disengage now, folks. So thank you very much for listening in. It's been Simon Hazeldean, Graham Jones, and Phil Jessen from the Sales Chat Show, saleschatshow.com, driving your sales forward. Good luck and good selling. You have been listening to an episode of the Sales Chat Show. To stream or download a host of further free episodes that will power your sales success, please visit saleschatshow.com. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. And from everyone here at the Sales Chat Show, we'd like to wish you good luck and good selling. (laughs) 